friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my young doctor living on the edge of ethics and science and co-host. I thought you were going to give me the plat, but that's me, Alex Dandino. You're much more of a Billy Baldwin, but we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we love seeing all of you here as normal. Uh, if you are here and you like the show, please take a second to leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That shit helps us out a ton. Uh, find us on all our social medias. You know where we're at. Uh, Film Alchemist 1 on Twitter, Gmail, all the good stuff. You can find us there. And uh, follow us and subscribe on YouTube at Nerd Al- or The Nerd Alchemist. Not at The Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. Uh, we have some fun, shorter content coming up for this show and our other show, The Long Box Sessions, uh, which is more comic book and pop culture. But the Oscars dropped today. That was an enormous bomb in the cinematic community. Um, I love the Oscars. Alex, not so much. So we're going to talk about it eventually. And you'll be able to find us there. Don't shake your head, Billy Bald, when you have your own sins. As we learned in today's movie, uh, as you guys know, this month we're shaking bacon. Uh, every movie is Kevin Bacon. That's the theme, and that's all it needs to be. One of the all-time greats. Uh, and for today's tasty selection, Flatliners. Um, how to start with Flatliners? I adore this movie. Almost no, none of it makes any sense to me. <laughs> I think it's an assault against science and your senses. But it has one of the great assembly cast, and it's just super fun. Yeah. Alex. Hit me up with your initial Flatliner thoughts. Flatliners is, again, one of those just, like, perfect time capsules of the 90s. Like, there's, like, a time in the 90s where every studio movie was just greenlit for, like, $50 million or something like that. Like, I think Flatliner's budget was 26. So You think this is what's going to happen with the new WB algorithm? <laughs> it's I mean, just going to be like, Flatliners, so dope. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, like, this is one of those movies that you're just like, so what's the like I, I just kind of like think about the pitch it's just like all right these people are experimenting with death and they kill each other and then bring themselves back movie done go for yeah. go for go with god like, the whole thing like it's amazing it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and yet right somehow i am totally 1000 percent engrossed in the flatlining it's yeah insane. well it's the thing that i i constantly wrote throughout the movie is <clears throat> what because they kept, like, there's the moment, right, when they bring Kiefer Sutherland back for the first time. And they, uh, they're essentially like, you did it, man. Do you know how big this is? You walked on the moon, man. Yeah. And I just was, like, ripping my hair, like, what the fuck did he do? He died. And had, because there's this great moment, too, where they're like, well, obviously, this is real. We've done it twice. Right. Uh, totally reliable Kiefer Sutherland and Billy Baldwin. Great. You know, impeccable character witnesses as to the afterlife, I guess they're saying. Yes. And Kevin Bacon's like, hey, I'm an atheist. Uh, I think maybe, just maybe, uh, your body is releasing some uh, last-second drugs to make, you know, your death not as absolutely miserable as it could be. Right. The only logical scientific statement in the movie, right? And Julia Roberts just looks at him, shakes her head, and goes, you're reaching. And I was like... What? Yes, he's reaching. They have four scenes, right? Like, she's talking to all the deathbed patients in the hospital. They all say something different. Right. Kiefer Sutherland has one, like, his flatline dream is essentially a Ford commercial. 
And then Billy Baldwin's is a black and white, like, snuff film. You're right. So they're not even the same. And Julia Roberts just has the audacity, the fucking huge huevos, to look right in Kevin Bacon's eyes and go, you're reaching. (laughs) As if to tell us, the audience, shut the fuck up and enjoy this film. Right. That's which I did, which I do. That's the crazy part. <laughs> I think that's probably the best part about Julia Roberts' character is she spends the entire movie just literally, like, she could honestly deadpan to the camera multiple times and be like, just go with us here. Like, that's her yeah. role in the movie. So it'd be like, just just go with it, all right? Like, we're, we're, we're yeah. acting, all right? Just, just, yeah, whereas just stay with us. She's, she's the anti-Ellen Page in Inception, right? Right. Where Ellen Page is like, I'll ask a question so you can give me a long expository monologue. Julia Roberts is the exact opposite. No questions! I will ask the questions! Right. <laughs> like, li- you're literally not allowed to question. And I'll say this, right? We kind of... It's a, a rule that several Hollywood screenwriters that I know have told me. And they say every movie, reasonably, you have to give them one thing. Right, totally. Right, like one thing that's going to seem absurd or won't make sense, but without that, it's not a movie. Right. This movie without the flatlining visual and the gag of it is actually just people in a therapy group, right? Would, Talking would, through their deep-seated <laughs> dramas. I would actually go further than that. I would say that without... <laughs> Without the flatlining, this movie is actually just a two-hour-long Calvin Klein ad from 1992. Like, the, <laughs> the use of... That mixed with the marriage story. That's what this movie would have been. <laughs> just rich whites talking about how hard they had it. The you use, might as well make this an Adam Carolla documentary at that point. <laughs> the use of... I, I mean, honestly, the biggest thing... like Past the flatlining, the, thing, the next... Like, literally on my list of things I was noting and, like... The second largest character in this movie is the drapes that just exist everywhere for no reason. Just there's... we'll get we'll get to this part. It's... I have another like weird one right off the bat before we start breaking the movie down. <laughs> you look at this cast and it is flawless, right? Oliver Platt is comedically perfect. You know I'm the head of the Platitudes fan club. I, I think do. he is one of the all time most underappreciated he's, actors. He's of course, wonderful. Bacon's amazing. Kiefer Sutherland in a perfect Kiefer Sutherland role. Julia Roberts, a little bit against type, but so strong and awesome in this movie. She's great. And then you're just like, what the fuck? Were, uh, you know, Denzel Washington and Tom Cruise busy? Was Swayze busy? How the fuck did we get Billy Baldwin? I know. I, I got it. Like, I've been actually, honestly, I've been researching a lot about, like, who passed on this role that Billy Baldwin was like, well, like, who... Who was it that like they were like throw your hands up Billy Baldwin I guess like there's got to be some. I mean, moment did they where... literally just run out of money? John Cusack wasn't available. Like, who was there that they passed on? Right. Were they just like Alex too old and surly at this point? Like we don't. I mean, seriously. I, I have seriously, no idea. the Baldwins I... snuck into so many movies in this period. Like Billy making it into Flatliners. Well, Billy Baldwin uh, the, particularly. Uh, the other even creepier one actually making it into Usual Suspects. Yeah. You're like, how did this happen? I actually think Billy Baldwin more particularly is kind of the more surprising person because he's Billy Baldwin. Like, he is truly and honestly one of the more forgotten Baldwins a lot of the time. Like, he's probably Him one and of the, the blonde one from Usual Suspects. I can't tell them apart because they're both in the same creepy lane. Yeah, they both have that same, like, thing, you know, that, like, weird, like, half, <laughs> half eye open. Like, I'm, I'm acting. Yeah. This is how I act. Like... Before this, I mean, he he. Before this, he had done two movies. He had done Born on the Fourth of July and, and Internal Affairs. 
yeah. before this. Well, it's also funny because it's like him and the other Baldwin, right? You can imagine all the Baldwin brothers having like some kind of animal house fraternity basement where they spank each other and mark notches in blood for right. all of the girls that Alec passed on and they got in the wake. Like, we can't compete against Alec, but we'll compete for secondary Baldwin right. dominance. Like, do you remember? Like, that's like the always, that's always the best part about like watching a Baldwin in a movie is you're always thinking to yourself, what happened when he got home and like told his family what he was doing? Like, did Alec just spank him ridiculously? Like, she's like, yeah, who are you? You're not even a real Baldwin yeah. anymore. Like, that's like, that's always my, that's always my takeaway whenever I find a non Alec Baldwin in a Baldwin in a movie. It's so weird. Because they're all essentially, if you take Bow Bridges and take away any chance of dignity or craft and add, like, a little Charlie Sheen in there. Right. That's what a Baldwin is. <laughs> and it's just, there are no Bow Bridges. It's so, but I was just, it was baffling that he was in this movie, even though, it's I was so like, weird. if there was a guy who would definitely uh, film women against their will, right? Right. Be a serial uh, hooker-upper. And also, we are introduced to Billy Baldwin's character by him uh, definitely trying to secure some Julia Roberts loving really? over a dead body. Yeah. And actually using the dead body as a prop in his pickup line. <laughs> Why don't you open up like old Larry here? It's like, I, has that worked? Like, this guy's supposed to be good at securing the deal. <laughs> yeah, evidently. I don't know. I saw a lot of those girls in his weird, like, snuff film flashback. And yeah. I, I, I got to be honest, I wasn't super... Uh, I wasn't super impressed. I actually did this research, though. Speaking of, like one last thing about Billy Baldwin, and we'll move on. But I, di I did the research the same year this movie was released, which is 1990. This movie came out, Flatliners with Billy Baldwin. That same year, The Hunt for Red October, starring Alec Baldwin as fucking Jack Ryan, came out. What a horrible, horrible Thanksgiving meal that must have been at the Baldwin house. Like, how's your career going? Well, it was Jack Ryan and Hunt for the Red October. What about you? Well, I was the third or fourth lead, I don't really know, in a movie about a bunch of kids. Let's be fair, the fifth lead. The fifth lead. <laughs> I was the fifth person in a I was the fifth person listed in the cast uh, about a movie about people who try to kill themselves while trying to achieve like the ultimate high. Oh. Well, Alex's career is going great, so uh, he's gonna go do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross Redding. It's like it's an amazing let me, amazing Let thing. me retort one there's no way that the Baldwin family weren't more impressed that Billy secured a movie than Alec. <laughs> One, that's just like a lifetime of what they've known. That's been every Thanksgiving since Alec was born, right? Yeah, you're totally Secondly, right. Secondly, I think Flatliners is a better movie than The Hunt for Red October. So just sure. saying, like, I'm not saying maybe maybe Billy is the winner. <laughs> I'm not saying Flatliners is not better. And what I'm what I'm saying is is that being Jack Ryan, I think, is more important than the uh, fifth lead. A, I mean, uh, maybe what Jim from the office is Jack Ryan now in the like, fifth lead to what is essentially a forehander. Let's be honest, but anyways, yeah. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> no, I, I think it's fine. Also, I, I can hear you guys click clacking away coming at me with your hottest hunt from red October takes. That's fine. We'll have the discussion. I love those discussions. It's fine. I, the one so thing let's, I let's dive into the movie. Well, actually, no, that's fine. I, cause I, what do I, you got? Go well, for it. We need to get to the baconness of this because Kevin Bacon, when you think about it, to me, like we talked last uh, episode about how Tremors is like quintessential Kevin Bacon. Like it's got all right. of the, it has the earmarks of the best bacon performance. I would actually make the argument after watching this that Kevin Bacon is the linchpin of this movie. 
Like he is the reason and the motivation to keep watching the film because like Kiefer yeah. Sutherland goes off the deep end almost immediately, mainly because like the first thing you hear him fucking say in the movie is today's a good day to die. Like that is the but, first, but line. that is a great opening. It's a though. great opener. I'm not, I'm not arguing that you got the slides. long lost boys pushing over water. He sees this luxurious, sunrise on a camera lens that someone forgot to wipe down i guess no no no. it's, it's very full of dust it's, and schmutz it's, it's 90s filter that's that's uh, that's important yeah it looks like someone just got a like it was a little too early for the first shot and the cameraman didn't wipe his lens and then they cut to Kiefer and he's just like today is a good day to die it's very it's very batman uh dark knight and i was like this movie's gonna kick ass like immediately right. i like this movie. i i'll agree with you on this much kevin bacon is the linchpin of the movie totally right? He is the leading man who's not the main character. Right. Right. That's the thing I love the most. I don't think this is the most quintessential use of all of his talents. He's pretty much there. Definitely not quintessential. Right. Because what Kevin Bacon is great at is he's the everyman leading actor. Right. Right. So you can believe anything Kevin Bacon does. Right. That he is the most attractive guy in the room. He could be a scientist who fucking repels out of his apartment window. (laughs) Rather than walking down the stairs, right? Makes sense. Like, you can believe anything they say Kevin Bacon does. He's got, he's roughed up enough. He's every man. He's handsome. Right. He can play really smart. He's there because Kiefer Sutherland immediately goes Dr. Jekyll. Yeah, totally. Well, right? that's Because he starts off as a pretty, am- well, I mean, this is the thing. Does Kiefer Sutherland start in an amicable, like, classmate position? No, absolutely not. He literally well, dupes I, all these guys into it. That's why he apologizes <laughs> at the end of the fucking movie. See, I don't think he dupes them until he knows what happens first, right? Right. Because I, I think after Baldwin, now he knows something's up. But I think at the start, he does have this. He just has an idea, right? He's like, we're all so smart and we're not being appreciated enough. Right. Let's, you know, throw down on some real science, which is done in the least scientific way of all time, right? Again. This is- and that that's that's okay. That's what college kids do. They all like high school and college kids right. are burdened with the knowledge that they know more than all of right. us, right? That we right. are all them who have failed, and they're the ones who are going to succeed. Sure. So that makes sense for me, but because I actually don't think he goes his his idea is outlandish and foolish. Sure. But he takes the first trip. Right. I mean, like that. Right. I mean, that's the important thing. Is like. Nelson being the first one on the other side is the most important thing because again, it un like we already kind of know he's a little weird because of again, a great first line to explain a character literally within like the context mm-hmm. of the movie. Today is a good day to die. I, I honestly he couldn't have spoken for the rest of the film and I would understand his motivation. Like, that's literally all I need to know. But for him to be the first one on the other side goes almost in the same vein as the hollow man syndrome, which is like, I gotta yeah. be the one to go. Like it's it's that hubris. It's that hubris. We clearly the- learned that there is a a fame monster aspect to this, right? Because right. he says like fame is an inevitable consequence, right. and I'm, ah. I mean, you could just be a good doctor and like save people, right? Because this is that there are kind of two problems with his original setup. Is one, what are you solving as a medical doctor, right? Because he said religion and philosophy have failed. It's time yeah, for the time physical for- sciences to take the mantle back. And I was like, the mantle of what bullshit that most people don't be- like. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, like that's like the this big, is the thing, right? The Do no harm. Movie. Well, right. That all medical doctors have the oath, right? Do no harm. 
And his big idea is, I will literally murder myself so I can watch a Ford commercial. Right. That's his idea. Right? Like, what are it's, – it's the question they never answer in the movie is, what do they think they proved? By the end of this, I, did they prove – I mean, I don't know. Maybe that there's something after death, but – I mean, they kind of answer it saying that there, there's no way it could be anything but some supernatural whatever. But I mean, they don't prove what it is or why it exists. Well, I mean, oh, here's the other part of the experiment that actually makes him the bad guy. I had to start thinking about this, and I was like, I think legally he is a bastard because by making Julia Roberts do the injection, is she not the murderer? Like, if they can't pull him back from the edge, because Kevin Bacon's not there when they start. Right. Right? He's under by the time Kevin Bacon gets there. The guy that they think is, they keep saying he's the one that has to bring people back. Like, he's just the most gifted at electrocuting people. <laughs> I yeah. never got that part either. Apparently, he's the, most, apparently think... he's the most gifted EMT of the bunch. <laughs> yeah. So, he has this secret heart on for Julia Roberts. He's like, I should definitely make her the one that has her fingerprints all over the murder weapon. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, is he a bastard or is he the smartest guy on earth because he totally is setting up his friends should he die that they're totally going to go to jail? Like, you think this is why he picked the ragtags? He's like, I'm going to bring all these fuckers down with me. Well, I think I think it's why he picked that like homeless encampment that they do all the experiments in because like, again, wait, okay, first off, let's just break into this right now. (laughs) Is this. Does this movie feature the most absurd sets of all time? I mean, like I said. If you said that's a homeless shelter, this is some kind of hollowed out museum with amazing artwork yeah, everywhere. Amazing artwork. Draped plastic everywhere. Perfect architecture and glass. <laughs> and like everyone's just like, nah, fuck it, it's bombed out. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, that- you're like, one room looks like shit. The room where you have the boiler underneath for whatever that is. Also, later in the movie, they show us a Halloween party where they're just actually burning chairs. Yeah, I don't on the steps of this museum on campus. It's this most it's like the most destructive college of all time. Like, I don't know where this is. This college won the national football championship on Halloween when Julia Roberts is like, I best murder myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or whoever dies that it's but the sets like even when they walk in, like every set has this, though, they walk into people's apartments. Right. And you're like. What the fuck is Billy Baldwin's apartment? What is this place? I got to tell what you is the happening, truth, man. right? They're, they're, like, <laughs> the spatial awareness of this movie. I, I don't know where I don't know where buildings end and begin a lot of the time in this film. Like I don't know no. where like the back like greenhouse. Okay. So like, I know this is later <laughs> in the movie, but the um the woman that David uh tormented uh Winnie the uh, Winnie, right. who, who, who uh, David sees in his vision when he flatlines, uh, this girl, <laughs> this girl he tormented when he was a kid. He goes to visit her and like apologizes. She just lives in a greenhouse, like just oh, it's a greenhouse. That's 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 like. But like, I don't know where it starts and ends. This is like the biggest fucking biodome greenhouse I've ever seen because like the way it's shot, I'm like, where's the? I don't know where he's even coming in from. Like it's shocking to me. And everything like it's like absolutely no attention is paid to the no attention is paid to the paid to like the spaces they walk in. Like, I feel like the script was just like, well, there's a room and they're all in there now. Like, okay, well, is there a like how should the room look? I don't know. 1990 ish. Like, that's like every the restaurant. Why is that little diner broken into like four rooms? One of which seems to be a circular like it doesn't matter. You cut outside. 
Yeah. It's an alleyway in a waspy ass, obviously very rich college that can afford to have this architecture everywhere. We're talking like Pope level housing sculptures, right? This right. is insane. Yet we they want us to believe that there could also be a dark alley that is full of thirty five foot demon graffiti. Right? What yeah. the fuck is that painted on the side of Kevin Bacon's building? Apparently, it's like early Banksy. You know, they're just... Uh... It's, insa- it's an absolutely insane movie. The, the autopsy theater. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but this is the thing. E- okay, one more. Even Kevin Bacon's Jeep. Oh, my God. Why is his Jeep full of pickaxes? How often does he go... Absolutely never Mountaineering. Explain. Never explain. Yeah, but this is what I mean, though. I actually like it. I... I know it's the craziest it's thing so of the movie because vi- it's it's visually fascinating to just look around and be like, "What the fuck were they thinking here?" Again, it's just one of those things. Where, it's awesome. Like, I know that like I said this earlier. Like Julia Roberts is supposed to be that person for the entire movie, but like everyone gets their moment of like, just just go with it. Like acting, acting. Hey, um, just it's a movie. All right, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. Eat your popcorn. Relax. I got this. Like, but I like the idea that. Joel Schumacher and his his ilk, right? His uh, little cronies here. They're like, we have this really serious kind of high concept, right? Like, we're going to explore. It reminded me a bit of Prometheus where it's, let's take a wildly profound question, put it at the heart of our movie, and just throw every dumb explanation we can at it. Right, right. But I like that Schumacher's like, let's not get bogged down in what is after death, what is a soul. Right. Uh, can I get something that's going to look amazing when I flood this room with red lights? I, yes. and that it's, it's one of those things. It's so absurd. I can't tell you the last time I watched a movie and was actually like pulled out. Like, where are we? Yeah. What, what is happening on this? I can't set? tell you the last time I watched right? a movie. One, but to it know works where we for were. me in this yeah. movie and did not care. One ounce. Didn't care. I was just like, didn't I'm care. In. Whatever you guys got. Like, I feel like the only it reason gives it an almost like stage play feel, right? right. Where it's. They're trying to add extra flair onto the stage while these people are talking. Right. Well, so it, it felt very theatric, or uh, uh, you know, like theater stage production. Oh, totally. Like again, like the red light thing. Like the very beginning, the first flat line. Really, the the first two are just like this. I don't know where the glare's coming from. Like the the heat, the red is so intense. <laughs> like, what? Where? But it's cool. But this is what I it's like. Great. I love that. I love the dynamics of how they use the color during the flat lines. Absolutely. But then they immediately destroy it with Billy Baldwin's, of course, because it starts off and it goes from Ford commercial. That's all high, vibrant yellows. Right. The room was red. But when we cut back, they shoot it like clerks. Yeah. Right. So we know that maybe he's a ghost watching all this. Ha- like, it's very strange. It's pretty great. And they cut back and then they're back to this kind of uneasy color that fills this movie. And it, it just it makes you feel like you've left the real world really early in the film, right? The moment you get into the the flatlining boiler room, yeah, it makes you feel like you're not in a real place anymore. And it again, it's it's the Julia Roberts narrative armor again, which kind of is like, hey, chill the fuck out, yeah. enjoy the giant demons hit with blue light, like enjoy that shit. I stop. I feel like the flatlining room is built around simply for and this is why kevin bacon's a linchpin in this movie it is simply to be this huge overarching thing so at the end of that movie when they're trying to bring Kiefer sutherland back he gets to scream at that big stained glass portrait 
That's the only reason it's that big <laughs> is so he can give his like little like I'm fucking sorry we trespassed on your fucking property like that like little soliloquy he <laughs> has. I'm like pitching the- this is Kevin Bacon, my friends. They're pitching WB's How Nine Thousand, and they're like, all right, all right, all right. You're not in with the flatlining. Let me pitch it to you this way: Kevin Bacon versus God, and he's like. What Go. awesome greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> and Joel Schumacher's like, Kevin, ask for more green floodlights. Quick. <laughs> Get the gel budget up. It's it's just amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, but again, like, I feel like all the set pieces are there. All the set pieces are there to provide, like, this sense of it's it's not even a sense of scope. It's literally just like it's not nuance. It's huge terrifying like it's it's like the yeah. it's like you, the room is so big so that it can close in i guess i'm not really sure how to describe it it's bizarre like i can't you know what it made me think of right i just saw underwater right and it's i almost had to leave the theater because it's so fucking claustrophobic right and they had these moments where they're kind of crawling through tight space as shit's collapsing around them and their moment of relief is putting on uh you know diver suit and heading out into water. And I was like, the diver suit's the scariest, most claustrophobic place in the movie. Right. Cause it, you know, I'm always like, what if I had to, like, sneeze or scratch my face or whatever, right? It's horrifyingly claustrophobic. This movie, I think the big colors like that and the constant, you know, when Julia Roberts is in the bathroom, for instance, there's, like, draped plastic everywhere. Right. You're like, what is that protecting, that shredded plastic? Doesn't matter because what it is is something else closing in on them as they start flatlining, right? Right. Even Billy Baldwin's camera starts to close in on him. It's really, and I think that's what it is. It's using kind of big theatrical, uh, or, you know, again, stagecraft production ideas to sell this idea. And it's the weird thing in the movie is I don't know what they were settling on or what, how they were trying to, I, I have a hard time reckoning in my mind how they went from, we're going to flatline to prove there's something after life to this haunted house movie. But that's what it that's what it becomes after he he flatlines the first time. Right. It becomes this great haunted house movie and these amazing sets oh, drenched yeah, totally. in color. I mean that's And I think that's what that's the part of the movie I think that is so captivating for all of us. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, the haunted house aspect is great because it's it's a haunt it's a, it's a haunted house in your brain. Like that's the best part is yes it's yes it doesn't matter where you and, are and the you haunted house you are the, the haunted house demons that's what's cool yeah and that's a really cool idea again because it's the thing that I couldn't figure out is what are they trying to say about this right you know it, it has this very Dickensian right what if we could just uh, neg the ghost of Christmas future into harassing us so we can clear our debt you know right. what I mean early in life and I. Because you have to stop and think, like, what is the god that Joel Schumacher is crafting in this movie? Right. Well, I mean, in the- it's obviously not a god we've ever known. Well, it's it feels like it's a god of karma. Right. But I don't. It's. I mean, to- it's just so baffling to me. Well, I mean, to me. Well, I mean, kind of it is a god of karma. Like, I mean, to me, what right. what it boils down to is it's about, like you said, wipe, wiping your slate clean. Like, that's really kind of right. what the movie is, is like how much is your sanity worth and how much is like getting over these like deep seated things that really possibly might've motivated you. Like, have you ever thought about, yeah. Have you thought about like, cause I think about things like, it's interesting. I, I finished watching this movie. I'm like, God, what are the terrible things I've done that I've like buried into my subconscious of like, 
Oh, absolutely. Right. And like, that's what I think of is I'm like, what, like if I flatlined, what's the first thing I'm going to think of? I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I never want to see that face again in my life. Like that's the kind yeah. of stuff you think about. So really, well, I went through when I stopped, you knew me in my twenties and I had a pension for, um, excessive substances per se. Like, you know, that's a nice way to say it. Don't have to worry about that shit. Once I hit 30 and had kids and got married, you're like, I better clean up my act a little bit. And you're like, well, look at all this free time I had to sit and stew on everything that was wrong with me. Right. And this movie brings that out, right? It really is like, what are the two? And this movie does it in a fascinating way because they show you, right? So David and, uh, God, what, Kiefer Sutherland, whatever his Nelson, fucking character Nelson. name is. Nelson. Theirs are the acts of kind of dumb children. Right. Right. And the movie asks you, how responsible for an undeveloped, you know, kid can you be? And the answer seems to be a fucking lot. Right. And Julia Roberts is also a child, but it's not her action. Right. Right. It's her mother and father's terrible actions that thrust the whore onto her. And then Baldwin's is shot black and white and not high color like the rest because he is his ghosts are decisions he's made as an adult. Right. All his stuff is happening. It's pretty cool how they show you all. Because I think we all assume it would be things we did in the past. Right. Baldwin's is things he's doing right now. Right. So really, Billy Baldwin's the only one who is in danger of not being able to pay the piper at the end. Like, I think that's like. I mean, he does in a way. The fact that that woman ends up not marrying Billy Baldwin is the best thing he can do right. to clean his slate. Well, right. Like and he needs to he needs to go through it bad. Right. The atonement is that you don't get what you kind of wanted or thought you wanted. I like to me the point of flat. Well, there is there is a sequel to this movie that is Billy Baldwin spending three and a half hours tracking down every woman we saw in these nightmares and being like, I am so, so sorry for what I did right. to you. <laughs> well, like to me it's it's interesting like the more we talk about it the more you think like flatliners really is about the pursuit of what is the afterlife is the afterlife meant to be uh, a place of peace is it like because and like think the answer is like whatever the afterlife is you can't be a visitor if you go so whatever you decide to take with you like that's always the thing like when people pass away like you're always you can't take it with you like that's like always the that's always the line so like what Flatliners is trying to tell us is that if you're a visitor to this place, you're going to bring something with you. What's going to happen is you're going to have to take it back with you and it's not going to be good. Like whatever you're trying to atone for in life, it's yeah. Like I think the Christmas Carol thing is a perfect example. Like it is very much like taunting, taunting, uh, I mean, taunting any of the ghosts of uh, Christmas, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so what they do in return is say, fine, if you want to just visit and, Without my like, without my approval, here's your here's the worst thing you could possibly do, right? Like, I, so is your theory the god of Schumacher knows that they are trespassers? Yeah. Does he ever fully think that they have entered his realm, or does the god of Schumacher and his like afterlife god knows that they're just there to fuck around? I think the god in Schumacher. I think the god of Schumacher's flatliners is one that sees people trying to pull back the curtain. And this is something that he's like, you're not going to, this is something that that God is saying, you're not going to be able to pull the curtain back on this. Right. Cause that's a great point because what the movie honestly does is they never see anything after death. They just relive their previous life. And the cool thing is, is that they're not bringing back other people's shit, right? The movie plays very much like 
oh, they've unleashed angry ghosts from the past. But Julia Roberts' dad is a manifestation of her. Right. She is her father in all of those sequences, right? right? She is the dad. Even when she forgives, when he forgives her, right, after it's heroin dose, that is Julia Roberts forgiving herself. Well, I mean, the other thing, right? too, is Kiefer, so Kiefer Sutherland's the only one who has, like, a physical manifestation of his ghost haunting him, which is like... But he's but doing he's it the to one himself. Exactly. He's the one doing it to himself. So, again, right. this is a haunted house of your own making. You carry this haunted house with you everywhere. It's not, a, yeah. it's not really a spirit, and it's not really anything... Uh, there's nothing ghostly actually happening. What it is is you having to contend with the fact that uh, something that you did in your past or something you're doing in Billy Baldwin's case uh, in your present that is causing you cause like whatever misgiving you have about what you're doing, whatever misgiving you have about what you have done, that is what you're going to carry with you to your afterlife. Right. That's like, like again, but like you said, maybe, maybe this is the God of Schumacher, right? Is that, Julia Roberts' dad didn't take heroin dose and his obvious war trauma and being a bad husband and father because he was so crippled by his experiences. He didn't take that with him, right? When he pulled the trigger, that was it. No, that was it. So maybe what they're saying is maybe that's what it is, right? Is that the people who die, they're not still dragging this on. That's passed to us. Right. Okay, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Like. Billy Mahoney or whatever his name is, he's not actually there haunting Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is still there. And maybe it explains why he wants to make this great leap and is so cavalier with his life at the start. Yeah. Because he saw early on how fragile it is and one mistake tarnished him for a long... I mean, he still got into a prestigious-ass school. Yeah. Right? Even though they're like, well, on his application, it's like, well, he was institutionalized for murdering a kid with a rock. But, you know pretty sane guy to be around dead bodies and stuff (laughs) (laughs) but that's exactly like (laughs) beside that again there's another this is another situation where honestly the minute after he got back he should have looked right at the camera goes just go with it this is how it is this is what the movie is right now like yeah again like i think that Kiefer sutherland's ghost is probably the most relevant not just because he's the main character of the movie but the most relevant because he's the only one of these people that actually did something that truly damaged a life like i think that bullying is let me throw you a counter before you do this though right when they killed that kid i think that in a way his suffering stops it's more of a painful moment for his parents and the loss of a potential future sure i think what was cool is that they didn't mitigate kevin bacon's ghost right no and because th- kevin bacon obviously became a good guy who is more of a i just want to save lives doctor right. than the rest of them well and i think that but she lived with that for a long time right and you could tell it still bothered her at the right. end Right, and what i was going to say was yeah like kevin bacon is a bully like kevin bacon has to contend yeah. with the fact that he lived his life a certain way for a while for a long time that mm-hmm. hurt and damaged other people and not just damaged other people but like continuously damaged other people so, like, yeah. that's why Kevin Bacon. Well, you heard it when she said, I'm not that I haven't been that ugly little girl in a while. You're like, fuck, man, she still she phrased it that way. So she's been in that headspace right. and can be brought back there so easily. Right. And I think like the advantage. Yeah. And I mean, the advantage, obviously, for Kevin Bacon is that he the the person who is the person who is haunting him from his flatline is real. So he can go and address that problem. Kiefer yeah. Sutherland's whole thing is very well that's an interesting moment right what if she had been like hey man fuck you yeah. fuck you 
Like, what happens to him after that in the movie? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, like... Does he start pickaxing his own fucking earring holes or what? Well, I don't know. Like, to me, the absolution of knowing to... The absolution of forgiving yourself is very important to, like, almost all these people. Like, again, Kiefer Sutherland's character, while he might have killed a kid, essentially... Well, he did. I don't know why I'm saying essentially. While he killed a kid... The end of the movie is a very important moment because he is able to just he's able to finally apologize properly. Like, obviously, apologizing for killing someone yeah, is was, pretty trite. But at the same time, it's pretty strange. But in Kiefer Sutherland's broken character psyche, right? right he's like, I'll go flatline myself, which is akin to killing himself. Right. right? Totally. He thinks that is the sacrifice. So in a fantasy that he knows is a fantasy. He falls gently like a feather to the ground and then creates and manifests a little Billy Mahoney that smiles at him like it's the end of Angels in the Outfield. And he's like, psych, I'm going back to life, bitch. I, I got to. <laughs> by the way, I want to point this out. Joel Schumacher, uh, John Wick, a dog before the John Wick guys. Bro. Like, well, Amy was watching it with me and she's like, if this is going to be an injured dog movie, I'm out. And I was like, I don't remember a lot of that, but wow, so much yeah, worse. Not cool. Yeah, I got to tell you, like, I, I, I'm like, I feel like uh, Kiefer Sutherland needed to be under for ten minutes so he could also get forgive that get forgiveness from that dog. No, he was dead for like fifteen minutes. Right? No, he was. So he was. So <laughs> when Julie Roberts storms in, she's like, "He's been down for nine. He called me nine minutes ago." I was like, "Well, that's fucked up." That guy is dead yeah. for sure. And also the fact that he doesn't come back and he's just like massively brain damaged is shocking. But again, yeah. well, my wife, Amy, is a nurse and she was like not loving the science of this movie. <laughs> so she was explaining to me like, yeah, all of these people would be still brain dead when they woke up. And I was like, right on. That's cool. Don't ruin my yeah, movie. That's fine. Again. But the, I think the ending of the movie is the <laughs> it's more interesting to me because only David gets any absolution. Right. Because yeah. he goes and actually apologizes and can affect a change. Well. Da- Julia Roberts, in a way, David gets realizes that she's been blaming herself right. for something Julia that Roberts wasn't her fault. Gets the proper absolution of what right it- hers makes sense. Yeah. Do we really believe that Billy Baldwin just becomes a better guy? Oh no, Billy Baldwin went out that night and fucked like I don't know five right. Chicks. Well, even worse, do we really believe that Kiefer Sutherland becomes a better guy? Oh, because uh- what happens in this movie to me? This is one of those movies, I I love movies that do this, that it kind of ends abruptly, right? They don't try to tie it all up for me. And you start imagining what happens within a month, six months, a year of this movie being over, right? Do they publish the results? Because if they do, they all get banned from the medical community. 100%. Right? Maybe he becomes like a little bit of a cult leader celebrity. So then he's out in the desert flatlining his cult members. Uh, he's probably somewhat still haunted by the murder that he knows he didn't atone for after he tricked his ghost into angels in the outfielding him. I actually think that like, I feel like this only ends horrendously bad for everyone involved except, except for Oliver Platt, <laughs> but he was still there partaking. So he would still lose his medical license. It's all right. He could just finish off that half eaten pastrami sandwich. I actually think that <laughs> that was a great moment of him too. When he was like, really, that's the worst thing you ever <laughs> did was steal your babysitter sandwich. And then sandwich. obviously call her overweight constantly. You mean prick hey, you dick. Like I would love to have seen what Oliver Platt sin was. I actually think flatliners is a great uh, prequel to uh dark city and Kiefer Sutherland's <laughs> character is pretty much the same guy. <laughs> 
It's almost the exact it's same. Almost the exact when he's same ejecting guy. the memories. He's just flatlining. He's just flatlining everyone <laughs> and giving everyone new memories. He's almost the exact same guy. All right, we need to come up with our unified Keeper Sutherland timeline because this also works fairly well as a prequel for Lost Boys. It's the Southerverse. That's what it's. <laughs> that's what where it's Keeper at. Sutherland wakes up and he's like, "I have defeated death," and becomes this vampiric cult leader. Oh my god! It totally works, right? Fuck, and so they're not movie. actually vampires. Everyone just gets flatlined into seeing these parasitic teenagers. Oh my god, I so Holy need shit. that. Is movie. this the prequel for every Kiefer Sutherland movie? We just linked every Kiefer Sutherland movie together. There were no terrorists in twenty four. <laughs> it was just Kiefer Sutherland reliving kids he bullied as a young man. <laughs> now I have to go through his entire IMDB. Yeah, I think that's gonna no, be a it, thing. I think it's weird, right? Because a movie that has all of these seeming flaws, right? Horrendous, ridiculous science. They never explain what they're trying to prove or accomplish in a way that's satisfactory. <laughs> the sets are bizarre, but it is just so fun to spend time in these worlds. Totally. Right? There's this great shot of Julia Roberts that I thought kind of summed up my love of the movie, which is where she's manifesting a ghost of her dead father. Right. That she now blames herself for him dying after she's woken up from being murdered by her friends. Right. And she stares in the mirror. And again, any movie that has an actor staring in a mirror, a million percent. If Hollywood ever gives me the chance to make a movie or I just do it on my own, you better fucking believe there's actors staring at themselves in mirrors. But the Julia Roberts cracked mirror face, seeing her father behind the thin veil of that plastic in the bright red, most absurd bathroom of all time. I was like, that little one minute is everything I love about Flatliners. Right. It's just amazing actors, a director who's not worried about keeping the narrative together, but just filling it with fucking fun, crazy imagery to explore. And, you know, just it is a really cool high concept. I love the idea. And I don't normally an idea like this that is handled in this way. It might bother me. But for some reason in Flatliners, it just doesn't. I think it's a really – I think it speaks to the strength of just it being – I think it's strength to the, it speaks to the strength of the performances. And really, honestly, Absolutely. like – This might be one of the few times Joel Schumacher just like pulling the wool over, over everyone's eyes of what he's doing might have been the best thing he could possibly do. <laughs> well, I think he did the best. He's like, you guys act your fucking hearts out. I'll be back here doing demon graffiti. Yeah. And it's kind of the best place for him. Whereas in Batman, you're like, I don't know that I need all these things in the background, right? It makes Gotham a little too gaga. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want the Lady Gaga architecture in Gotham. <laughs> but in this movie, he found that perfect medium. Perfect. I where he creates this wildly fun playground for this huge concept and these great big performances. And I think what's cool, right? And the reason it doesn't bother me that they weren't more earnest and their philosophical pursuit of the concept right is because i think flatliners works for us like it does for their dreams where it becomes individual to us yeah we watch it find who we kind of relate to and then we start pondering our own transgressions and so you're doing a lot of subconscious work while watching this movie i mean but never taking away from the fun yeah it, it's a it, it's it's pretty cool it's a perfect 90s movie Pretty much all there is. They put a lot of the work on our shoulders and just put the fun in front of us, and that's where they meet, man. I'll take it. I think this movie's wildly entertaining. I think it is, too. Thank you, K-Bake, for your excellent performance. The yeah. linchpin of the movie to bring us home. The guy who repels out of his window, because this is the weird part of Kevin Bacon in this movie, 
my last summary of him. The guy who's like, I will throw my career on the line to save a life. But then also repels out of his dorm room. I'm like, nope, you're just irresponsible. You needed that suspension. You need to think about how you're living your life, Kabakin. You got to think about how you're living your life. All right, guys, that's it uh, for Flatliners, man. Uh, we're going to continue. We have two more Kevin Bacons. Alex, pick next. Cop car or Footloose? Ooh, let's go with Footloose. All right, so we'll end on Old Bacon, but next is probably the movie that set Kevin Bacon on his trajectory to stardom. Perhaps. Footloose. Also, kind of a loose biographical version of what my life was like in small town Indiana. Very untrue. As a boy who just wanted to dance. So Footloose. Coming up next week, uh, hopefully have some cool stuff for movies that are in theaters. I, I just saw Underwater, hopefully doing 1917. Uh, so we got some more fun stuff. Go to the Nerd Alchemist. You can see our other podcast, the Longbox Sessions. There, we're doing some good comic book stuff coming up. We're going to be doing some Oscar talk, all kinds of good stuff like that. Please leave us a rating and review. Find us on social media. Chat us up. Tell us what movies you like. We actually got some really cool uh recommendations this week appreciate everyone doing that very nice uh and as always guys thanks for spending time with us for the film alchemist i'm josh griffey alex dandino i would actually have no ghost i'm sin free